from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. If the text from Exodus that Lee just read for us has a sequel, it's our gospel lesson. 17th chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 9, page 17 and 18 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be a different people than those who came into this sacred space this morning. Uh, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this past Tuesday, a friend of mine boarded a plane uh, from Charlotte. He was headed to Philadelphia. And as the plane uh, took off and as it reached 10,000 feet, uh, passengers heard a very, very loud bang followed by a repetitive grinding noise that was coming from the left engine, not what you want to hear 10,000 feet in the air. The engine was completely blown, and the pilot immediately banked toward the airport. Now headed back to Charlotte, they were preparing for an emergency landing, which required the pilot to keep a very, very fast speed so the plane could be stable, which also meant that the landing was rough and difficult and somewhat traumatic. 
Fire trucks and emergency vehicles were lining the runway as their plane finally came to a complete stop. 196 passengers and the crew came off the plane safe and uninjured. Can you imagine uh, what was running through the hearts and the minds and the bodies of the passengers and the crew immediately following the explosion? I'm talking about in those first few seconds, those immediate moments. Perhaps you've been in a situation like this. In those first few moments as you hear the bang, you realize you're not dead, but you also are not sure what's going on. You have no idea if the plane can, can fly. You're not sure if this is just the beginning of the end. I'll tell you, if I were on that plane, and I've never been in a situation like that one, but if I were on that plane, what would be running through my heart and my mind and my body would be absolute fear. Pure fear, pure panic. At least in those first few seconds, at least in those first few moments, with no understanding, no information, no sense of what was happening or what was going on, no reassurance of the pilot coming on the, the loudspeaker saying everything is fine, here's what's happening in those initial seconds, in those initial moments, I can tell you I would have been afraid, terrified. Uh, fear is the emotional and physiological and biochemical response to clear and present danger right in front of us. Fear is, is, is stimulated by some threat that is right there, a threat that we sense, a threat that we can see, or, or a threat within a particular uh, circumstance or situation like an emergency landing. Fear is also a, a key factor of why our species has survived and one of the great motivators, and it's one of the great educators in life. We learn a lot from fear. We learn what to avoid and, and what to draw near to. And, and fear is what Matthew tells us that Peter, James, and John experienced on the mountain of the transfiguration. Here's the story. Jesus has ascended a, a peak, a mountain. We may call it a hill. But Jesus has ascended a high place. It could be Mount Hebron. It could be Mount Tabor. And he takes Peter, James, and John along with him. And as they reach the top of the mountain, they have an, a moment of religious euphoria. Jesus is actually, says the, the writer, is, is changed. He is transfigured. He is transformed before their very eyes. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. This for Peter, James, and John was an epiphany. This was a, a, a sacred moment. It was a holy moment. The, the prophets of old, Moses and Elijah, are there. They're talking with Jesus, and, and Jesus is shining in all of his glory. This is a sight to behold. And, and you can imagine, if you're there, the disciples, they, they want to keep this party going through the night. They want to keep this experience of joy and euphoria going. And, 
And so in this moment of joy, in this moment of religious ecstasy, Peter suggests that they should build some party tents. I mean, not literally. He, he's actually suggesting that they build worship tents, to build a tabernacle, to build a sanctuary so that they can mark the moment, so they can mark this euphoric moment of, of joy and, and life and radiance and, and glory that let's build some sanctuaries and stay here for a while. But before Peter can even finish his sentence, the narrative takes an unexpected turn. It's already a weird story to begin with, and it gets even weirder. All of a sudden, a bright and radiant cloud shows up and overshadows the disciples. They are enveloped. They are actually encased in this blinding light cloud. And from the cloud comes a voice, presumably the voice of God. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now I can't help but to think that this experience in those immediate few seconds that began this moment for them as the cloud encased them, as it enveloped them, that these disciples uh, had a memory stirred in their mind. A memory of a story that they heard from the time they were, they were little boys. The story that Lee read for us of, of Moses on Mount Sinai engaged by the very presence of God like a cloud and a devouring fire on the mountaintop. And even with that memory maybe swirling right before them, swirling in their minds, Matthew tells us that Peter, James, and John, their first response, their very first response was to fall to their face in fear. Once the cloud comes and once they hear the, the voice, they fall on their face in fear. Now, some of us might be thinking, yeah, this is what the scriptures often call the fear of the Lord. You've heard that phrase before? In the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, the fear of the Lord, when it's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it refers to reverence. It refers to the experience of all, recognizing God as God. You might wonder, well, if that is what's happening here, if that's the fear of the Lord, why didn't the translators translate it as the fear of the Lord? If we're talking about all, if we're talking about reverence, why didn't they say that, why didn't Matthew say that the, the disciples fell to their face with the fear of the Lord? And the reason is, is because it's a totally different Greek word. The Greek word is actually just the word for fear. It's the word where we get the English word phobia. Because Matthew is not talking about awe. Matthew's not talking about reverence. The disciples actually feel as if they are in danger. They feel as if there is a threat. They are vulnerable. Their fear in this moment is rooted in a sense of peril and a sense of danger. Peter, James, and John are not fearing the Lord. Peter, James, and John are scared. They're afraid. They're terrified. But why? I mean, it seems somewhat counterintuitive, doesn't it, for us? 
I mean, how many, how many times have you heard me preach or another preacher or you've heard a, uh, been in a Bible study, you've read a scripture and, and we, we talk about how uh, we're safe and secure in the presence of God, right? We, we've talked about that. We've named that as a promise that when we're in the presence of God, we're actually safe and, and secure. You know that old hymn, right? Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning on the everlasting arms of God. Right? Isn't that what's supposed to happen when we're in the presence of God? Aren't we supposed to feel safe? Aren't we supposed to feel secure? Well, not in this story. When the presence of God shows up in this radiant cloud and, and with this voice, the alarms actually sound. And the disciples feel vulnerable. They feel unsafe. And so how do we make sense of that? It seems counterintuitive to our theology. That we're in the presence of God, we should feel safe, not vulnerable. When we're in the presence of God, we should feel secure, not in danger, not in peril. So how do we make sense of this? You know, one of the challenges that we have when we come to worship every week, even though we read multiple scriptures and we pray through the scriptures, through songs and through hymns, uh, we don't do a lot of work in the texts that precede and come after the text that we're focusing on. Do you know what I mean? They sort of stand alone. And, and as the preacher, you're, you're, you're trying to speak a word about that particular text. And if you have some time to think about what came before, or what comes after, you'll go into it. But sometimes we don't have that time. But we have to take the time here, I think, for this particular text. This is a weird story. It's bizarre. And if we're going to translate it, translate it for our 2020 living, uh, I think we've got to just take a few steps back, a few verses back in Matthew 16. And let me set up the reason why. This Sunday is the last Sunday before the first Sunday of Lent. And on this Sunday, whether it comes from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, we always have the story of the transfiguration. Because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in each one of the gospel tellings, uh, this story of transfiguration is sort of a fulcrum. It's a hinge. It's a crossroads story because the narrative begins the shift with the introduction of who Jesus is and his ministry. And from the transfiguration on, what you begin to see is Jesus's journey toward Jerusalem. It's a hinge story. It's a crossroads story because when he comes down that mountain, he sets his face for Jerusalem which means he sets his face for his betrayal and his suffering and the cross. And right before this story, he begins to prepare the disciples for this journey. And this is what it says at the end of Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and that he'd be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. And sweet Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then Jesus, Matthew says, told his disciples these things. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you that there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So the disciples have just heard this teaching. And then Jesus goes to Peter, James, and John and invites them to take a little excursion up the mountain. They've just heard this teaching. It's ringing in their ears. And they follow Jesus up the mountain after just having heard this teaching and instruction. And it's all bright lights. It's all radiance. It's all joy. It's this euphoric moment. And perhaps, friends, perhaps Peter is thinking, Jesus, you were a little harsh on me earlier, don't you think? Right? That whole get behind me, Satan, and all that talk about the cross and about suffering and about losing your life and about the cost of following you here. I mean, Jesus, that, that has nothing to do with what we're experiencing right now. I mean, look, Moses is here. Elijah is here. Peter actually says it's good for us to be here. All this talk about suffering and the cross and cost, put that out of your mind. Look around, Jesus. It's all bright lights. It's all good. It's all glory. Don't think about the valley. Don't think about that journey. Don't think about the cross. Don't think about the cost. And it's at that moment when this cloud of great light comes upon them and, and envelops them and, and they hear the voice of God, this is my son, the beloved, with him I'm well pleased. And then, for good measure, adds on, listen to him. And perhaps in that moment, the disciples think, oh no. All that stuff, Jesus just said to us about a cross and about suffering and about a cost and about losing our lives might be true. God told us that he has authority and if he has authority, that means what he just said is still in front of us. And it's here, I think, that we discover the true location of their fear because it's at that moment that Matthew tells us that they hit the ground afraid. It's not when they see Moses or Elijah. It's not even when they first see the cloud. It's when they hear that Jesus has authority that they hit the ground in fear because they now know that a cross is going to come. They now know that a threat is on the horizon. They now know that they're gonna lose their lives if they follow Jesus down this mountain. There's gonna be a risk, there's gonna be danger. If we go down this mountain and if we listen to Jesus, life will never be the same. And the disciples fall on their face 
not in reverence, not in awe, but because they're scared of that road. They're scared of that journey. There's one more twist in the story. We move from euphoria in the transfiguration with the appearance of Moses and Elijah, and then we move to that place of fear with the cloud and the voice coming from heaven. But the story doesn't end there. Matthew tells us that Jesus actually moved toward the disciples, that he touched them, and he said to them, get up and do not be afraid. That word in the Greek that we translate as get up is literally the word that the gospel writers use to describe the resurrection of Jesus, to be raised to new life. You see, friends, a story doesn't end with fear. It ends with one of the most oft-repeated exhortations in all the scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, I think, is the calling card of the gospel. In the scriptures, it appears over 300 times. As one of my professors, Daniel Migliori, once preached, he said, don't be afraid. That was God's message through the angels to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth. Do not be afraid. That was the message to, that was from Jesus to his disciples as their boat began to sink in a storm. Do not be afraid was the message of the risen Lord to the women at the empty tomb on Easter Sunday. Don't be afraid. That's the message of Jesus to the three disciples after his transfiguration when his face shone bright like the sun. Do not be afraid. Oh, we need that word, don't we? Yes, there is danger down the mountain. Yes, there is a cost. Yes, the journey to Jerusalem will be hard. It'll be full of threats and disappointments and temptations and loss. But get up and do not be afraid. And why should the disciples not be afraid in the midst of this cost, in the midst of this danger, in the midst of this peril on this journey? And the answer comes in the eighth verse of the 17th chapter of Matthew. And when the disciples looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself. He remains. And his touch of grace is sufficient for us. His touch of grace gives us the strength and the courage to get up and to not be afraid, to keep following, to keep trusting in him in this life and in the age that is to come. Friends, I don't know what your road looks like these days. I don't know. But I suspect that part of the journey that you're on has some peril, has some danger, has some threat. It has some loss. It has a cost. Even so, Jesus reaches to us and touches us and says to you and to me, get up, keep moving, do not be afraid. Do not fear. I am with you now in the year 2020, and I'll be with you all along this journey, even to the end of the age.
Amen.